Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment unable to read a newspaper. And we have the permission of the Worcester News. We're recording on Thursday the 16th of February. Our engineer this week is Brian Wheelwright and round the table with me is Judith Doherty and uh, new reader. We warmly welcome Mark McLeod. I'm Elizabeth Hill and uh, we um, welcome you to this week's edition. The clerical work will have been completed by Carol Hartle, for which we thank her, and copying by Eileen and Brian Wheelwright. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our offering. You will hear some emergency telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, the obituaries, thought for the week, we'll open our birthday book, please let us know yours, and then we'll have the past week's headlines, sunrise and sunset times. And then following that will be stories of interest from the past week. This service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. But if anyone does wish to make a voluntary donation, it may be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, W-Y-L-D-S, in Worcester, WR51DA. And for those who may have donated recently, we do extend uh, sincere thanks to you. We do like to hear from you. If you have any suggestions for improvements or maybe complaints, add a message to your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone 01905 767766. But please be aware we aren't here every day. Really sorry. Please be patient. Um, Now I'm going to hand over to uh, Mark, who's going to give us the um, important telephone numbers this week. Thank you. So, for the telephone numbers, Wilds Lane here, as Liz just said, 01905-767766. Worcester Live, 01905-611-427. Malvern Theatres, 01684-892277. Police non emergency 101. Crime Stoppers 0800 Worcester Hub 01905 Norbury Theatre 01905 NHS Direct 111 and out of hours medical assistance 0300-123-3211 and that's from 6pm until 8pm. An additional one this week, <laughs> the Infirmary Museum 01905-542373. Thank you. And now Judith's going to tell us what's on in the local theatres. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes, quite a selection. Um, first of all, from um, the Swan, the Swan Theatre, uh, 
Saturday the 18th of February at 8pm, we have King of Pop, The Legend, continues, starring Navi. Um, and he looks like Michael Jackson. Um, yeah, must be, because it says, Get ready to moonwalk the night away. Um, we have on um, the 18th of February again at the Huntington Hall, Nearly Dan in Concert, the 20th Anniversary Tour. And that's the spirit and sound of Steely Dan, uh, February the 18th at 8pm. Um, and at the Swan Theatre Amateur Company, uh, Alan Akeborn's Communicating Doors. That's Tuesday the 21st to Saturday the 25th of February, starting at 7.30pm. Uh, also, the Worcester Repertory Company is presenting a double bill of new work at the Swan in the Vestas Tilly studio. Uh, number 42, a brand new play by Ben Humphrey, starring Jonathan Darby and Victoria Lucy. And Conclusions, a brand new play also by Chris Yeager, starring Liz Grand and Victoria Lucy. Uh, Huntington Hall again on Thursday the 23rd of February at 8pm. Um, Liz has recommended this, the Talon, the acoustic uh, collection in the Raw 2017 which is on Thursday the 23rd of February at 8pm. Huntington Hall again, the Everly Brothers and Friends Tribute Show. That is on Saturday the 25th of February at 7.30pm. And now over to the Malvern Theatres. Um, On Tuesday the 21st of February at... 2pm, I think this is suitable for children, so you think you know about dinosaurs. Um, Yes, that's a children's show using footage from the BBC's Planet Dinosaur to explore the deadliest predators ever to roam the planet. And then there's a, a thriller, Not Dead Enough, Um, Three Murders, One Suspect, No Proof. That's Monday the 20th to Saturday the 25th of February. Um, I don't know what time. It doesn't say what time. I assume it's either 7.30 or 8pm, usually 8pm at Malvern. Um, And a Mountain Film Festival World Tour, Banff. That is on Thursday the 2nd and Friday the 3rd of March at 7.30pm at uh, the um, Malvern Theatres. And finally, Gaslight, which um, is a superb thriller. And that is um, Monday the 27th of February to Saturday the 4th of March at um, the Malvern Theatres again. Thank you, Judith. Um, I think we might have um, we might ask Mark to uh, tell us about um, events during 
um, half term for children at um, the little museum at the old Castle Street branch, which is called the Infirmary. That's its name. And uh, I'm going to ask Mark if he'll tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Thank you. Yes, with Love Heritage Festival, which is running from Saturday the 18th all the way through until the 26th of February, there's lots of events for half-term and families at 12 heritage venues in the city. The infirmary has a heart dissection workshop class where people get a chance to see um, what's happening inside a pig's heart and that is on Tuesday the 23rd and on a sorry, Wednesday and Friday we are also doing tours of the old hospital building but all that kind of information is at the Worcester Tourism Information Office. Thank you. Lovely. Right, now, um, have the um, obituaries, so those who sadly um, passed away in recent weeks. Um, now, Mary Rose Twinning passed away peacefully on January the 31st. Um, it's a private cremation, uh, but donations, if desired, can be... Um, sent to the Cooperative Funeral Care 17 Lowesmore Worcester WR12RS um, and these are for Acorns Children's Hospice. Uh, Lillian May, known as Jane Potter of Kemsey, passed away January 29th. Funeral service will have been um, on Friday the 17th of February. Donations for RNLI or the Dogs Trust um, can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Also on the 17th will have been the funeral of Elsie Margaret Taylor, who passed away on the 27th of January. Um, <coughs> donations for West Worcester Live at Home Scheme uh, can be sent to the Cooperative Funeral Care details as before. These funerals are still to take place. Elizabeth, known as Betty Magnet, passed away January 25th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Monday, February the 20th at 2.30pm. Donations, if desired, to Norton Hall Nursing Home and inquiries to George Crump and Son, uh, 01905 7377 Donald Edward Wilde passed away February the 2nd. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Tuesday, February 21st at 1pm. Donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation can be sent to Worcester Funeral Service, 31C Barbourne Road, Worcester, WR1 1SA. Betty Joan Boswood passed away peacefully January 27th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Tuesday, February 21st at 12.15pm. Donations for St Richard's Hospice can be sent to EJ Gumry and Son. Details as before. 
Linton Davis passed away January 28th. Committal at Worcester Crematorium Wednesday, February 22nd at 1.45pm, followed by a service of thanksgiving at Bromyard Road Methodist Church at 245 Donations for the work of Bromyard Road Methodist Church can be sent to care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, 01905 748811. Roy William Cale passed away February the 3rd. A celebration of Roy's life will take place at Clains Church on Thursday, February 23rd at 2.30pm. Donations for St Richard's Hospice or Clains Church can be left at church or sent to EJ Gummery and some details as before. Leslie Ann, known as Annie Whitby, passed away January 28th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Thursday, February 23rd at 10.45am. Donations for the PDSA or British Heart Foundation can be uh, left in the collection box or sent to Cooperative Funeral Care details as before. Philip Edward, known as Emmy Hempstock, passed away January 31st. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Thursday, February 23rd at 2.30pm. Flowers to Bedwardine Funeral Services, 1 St John's Worcester, uh, details as before. Um, Bob Bishop, ex-bus driver, passed away February 21st. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, February 24th at 1pm. Donations for Macmillan Cancer Care or the Blind Veterans UK, Care of Bedwardine Funeral Services. John Hunt passed away January 31st. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Friday, February 24th at 12.15pm. Donations for the Dogs Trust. Um, can be sent to AV Band. Please wear a splash of colour. Uh, Howard John Fisher of Clanes passed away January the 30th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium Monday, February 27th at 1pm. Donations for Cancer Research UK or British Heart Foundation can be sent to EJ Gummery and Son. Details as before. Maisie Jeffers passed away February the 3rd. Funeral service at St George's Roman Catholic Church on Thursday, March the 2nd at 12 noon. Donations for the Jesuit Mission UK may be sent um, care of AV band details as before. And Morris Thackeray. Um, husband of the late Maisie, who, as you remember, uh, did a lot of work with us at uh, Talking News um, and who passed away last year. Um, anyway, Morris passed away on uh, the 2nd of February. His service is at Worcester Crematorium at 12.15pm on Monday, February the 27th and afterwards at the Bear and Ragged Staff, uh, Bransford. And the request is, no sad clothes or faces. Well, they were a very jolly couple, and there's a lovely photograph of Morris smiling away. Donations for the Alzheimer's Society at the crematorium, or Philip Tomlin's funeral directors, 37 Bromyard Terrace, St John's Worcester, WR25BW. Our thoughts and prayers go to all of those who have lost loved ones in recent weeks.
Our thought for the day is taken from the 21st Psalm. Um, sorry, the Psalm 40, I beg your pardon. This is the week ending. Um, 40, Psalm 40, verses 1 to 3. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on the rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And I'm going to hand over to Mark now to uh, see who's um, in our birthday book this week. So, birthday's coming up uh, on the 1st of March, Christine Castle. Many happy returns. Happy birthday from us all. Mm-hmm. Hope happy you have a great day. day. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, thank you, Mark. Judith has the headlines for us this yes. week. Thank you. All right. Um, yes, uh, starting with just horrible. Then pickaxe rampage at school. Rescue drama at Bell Tower. They took our family's treasure. Piercings, you're not coming in. Just the ticket. Parking charges frozen until 2020. And sunrise and sunset. Sunrise now is as early as 7.20am. And the sunset is late as 5.25pm. <laughs> and you have the first headline story, Judith. Yes, right. Um, a lout who urinated on a homeless person sleeping outside a railway station in Worcester has been sent to prison. Sean Layton, 23, of Seymour Court, Malvern, has been jailed for 25 weeks after admitting the offence which happened at the entrance to Worcester Forget Street Station last September. Police have condemned the attack as a particularly horrible crime and say officers are working to reduce risk to vulnerable people. Leighton appeared at Redditch Magistrates Court on February the 1st. He admitted an act of outraging public decency, namely urinating on a homeless person who was sleeping and to causing racially aggravated fear and provocation of violence by words and writing after a passerby tried to intervene. Both offences were committed on Friday, September the 16th last year. A third charge of using threatening and abusive or insulting words or behaviour with intent to cause fear of or provoke unlawful violence was withdrawn. Leighton was sentenced to 17 weeks in prison for outraging public decency and eight weeks for the second charge. He was also ordered to pay costs of £135. Superintendent Kevin Purcell of West Mercia Police said, This was a particularly horrible crime which is reflected in the custodial sentence. We are working with partners at this time to ensure the issues around the many aspects of homelessness are considered and addressed collectively. 
This is in order that the risk to vulnerable people is reduced. I would encourage anyone who wishes to support homeless people in Worcester financially to do so by donations to one of our recognised shelters or charities who work hard to offer support. Leighton is due to appear at Worcester Magistrates Court on Friday, March 31st, charged with two counts of assault by beating. The charges relate to an alleged incident which took place in Church Street, Malvern, on Sunday, October 16th last year. A jealous dad hit his ex-partner's new lover with a pickaxe handle before chasing him through a Worcester school in front of terrified children. Robert Ward also struck a female teacher with the weapon as staff tried desperately to disarm him and try to bring a halt to his rampage at the city's Fort Royal School, which cares for children with special needs. It was only when a courageous teacher rugby tackled 25-year-old Ward to the ground that he was finally brought under control. A brave action commended by a judge at Worcester Crown Court. The incident with the pickaxe handle followed one of dangerous driving when Ward of Oatfields, Trent Close, Droitwich rammed his ex-partner's white Volkswagen Scirocco and chased her at speed attempting to block her into a lay-by. Timothy Hills, prosecuting, said Rhys Newman, who had become involved with Ward's former partner, was near the school on September 16 last year, when the defendant pulled up in a Ford Fiesta, looking extremely angry. Ward produced a pickaxe handle and sprinted towards Mr Newman, who ran into a blind alley where Ward struck him on the shoulder with the weapon before he ran back the way he had come, taking refuge in the school. Staff tried to close the doors to keep Ward out, but he was able to get inside. Mr Hills said there were parents and a lot of small children around as Mr Newman ran into the school shouting, Help me, help me. Inside the school, three female teachers tried to disarm Ward one of whom was struck on her right elbow with a pickaxe handle, believed at the time to be a baseball bat. Mr Newman ran into the hall to get away. The children, who were there, were distressed and upset by what they had witnessed. Mr Newman managed to get into a room and lock the door behind him. A member of staff rugby tackled Ward and, with the help of a colleague, managed to restrain him until police arrived and he was arrested. As he was led away by police, Ward said, Sorry mate, but you would have done the same. During the dangerous driving incident on June 28th last year, Ward rammed the back of his ex-partner Laura Maney's car on the A449 near Worcester, causing £731 of damage. He twice tried to block her in and then chase only came and the chase only came to an end when three men in a council lorry intervened and Ward made off. Ward told a probation officer that he felt Mr Newman had almost taunted him over having a relationship with his partner. Ward also claimed the relationship with Miss Maney was ongoing and that her actions had been infidelity. 
The court heard Ward felt remorse and regret for what had happened in front of children. Richard Hull, defending, said the offences are domestic in nature but appear to be anger management issues as much as calculated domestic abuse. Recorder Martin Jackson said, You attempted and did hit Mr Newman with a weapon which could have inflicted very serious injuries. I have been given no satisfactory explanation of why you had the pickaxe handle in the car. It is a singularly distasteful aspect that you were prepared to take the threat and use of violence into a school without any thought of the impact of that behaviour on young children who must have been scared witless by seeing you chasing someone while wielding a pickaxe handle. Mr Jackson jailed Ward for 27 months, 21 months for the affray and 6 for dangerous driving. A 12-month driving ban will begin when Ward is released from prison. A restraining order for two years was granted in relation to Miss Maney and an indefinite restraining order in relation to Mr Newman. There is a photograph taken through a trap door to the nave of the cathedral through which a stricken bell ringer was lowered to safety after an accident at Worcester Cathedral on Saturday last. Ian Bowman, aged 51, was 100 feet up the cathedral's bell tower when a rope caught around his foot, suddenly hoisting him into the air. Mr Bowman, who was part of a touring group from Widdicombe in the Moor, Devon, cut his head and possibly fractured his spine when he fell to the floor. In a dramatic rescue during the Evensong service, firefighters from Malvern, helped by paramedics, used specialist rope skills to carefully lower Mr Bowman from the tower's 100-foot drop. The bell ringer was then taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital by West Midlands Ambulance Service. Speaking from his home in Widdicombe, Mr Bowman said, I'm waiting for a call to see whether I have a fractured spine or not. I might have to go to Torbay Hospital if that is the case, and that is quite a drive away, but I'm not sure yet. I want to get my health sorted before I talk about what happened. The Devonshire ringers were visiting the bell tower as part of a weekend trip to the city. There were about 20 people in the bell tower when Mr Bowman was swept into the air. Mark Regan, ringing master at the cathedral, said it was a freak accident. Ian Bowman, an experienced ringer from Devon, got his foot caught in a rope and fell, hurting his head. He got his foot caught when a rope was moving and he went up in the air a couple of feet and landed awkwardly. The emergency services were brilliant. They have been here before to practice, so they knew what to do, but it was quite dramatic. Fire crews, including two from Worcester, opened up the cathedral's trap doors and, after preparing the ropes for about 40 minutes, were able to safely lower Mr Bowman to the floor. Mr Regan said, It is very reassuring to know the emergency services are well trained to deal with this kind of emergency. He continued to stress the accident was not caused by a safety issue related to bell ringing. It's clearly a freak accident, he said. It has nothing to do with safety of bell ringing.
Group Commander Grant Wills of Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service praised the rescue crews, calling them a credit to the community they serve. He said, This was a challenging rescue for our crews, but one we regularly practice for, including at the cathedral itself. Working closely with our colleagues from West Midlands Ambulance Service, we were able to rescue the patient in a way that would not risk making his condition any worse. As with many of our specialist skills, we hope that the community won't need them, but when they are required, we're ready to respond, thanks to our training and pre-planning. They were uh, at the scene for about an hour and a half, and one ambulance was sent. A devastated daughter says she no longer feels safe at home after burglars rifled through her bedroom drawer and stole family treasures, including her late mother's engagement ring. Janine Taylor, who lives in a block of flats off Bath Road, was out shopping on Thursday the 26th of January when her home was burgled between 12.30 and 2.30pm. On her return... She found video games were missing and, hearing neighbours had had their parcels stolen, called the police. But it wasn't until a week later that the 28-year-old discovered irreplaceable jewellery kept in a closed bedroom drawer had also been taken in the raid. Among the stolen items was a gold engagement ring worn by Miss Taylor's mother, Elaine, who died in 2007 after suffering with secondary breast cancer. That ring, I just desperately want it back, said the Aston University student who lives with her partner. It is really, really precious. It is one of the very few things I have of hers that I could keep and that maybe I could pass on to my children. The ring previously belonged to Miss Taylor's great-grandmother and featured a sapphire in its centre, surrounded by a cluster of diamonds. The other stolen items included a pearl necklace and gold ring, embellished with cubic, zirconia and red stones, also belonging to her mother. A purple pearl necklace and bracelet given to her for her 21st birthday, a one-of-a-kind silver cuff bracelet and a gold bangle belonging to her grandmother. Since the burglary, Miss Taylor has been scouring pawn and antique shops around the city in a desperate bid to track down the treasured items. But the burglary has left her shaken and she says she triple locks the door and is considering installing CCTV. It has put us on edge, said Miss Taylor. I do not particularly feel safe in my home when I am alone. It was in my bedroom, and that is the furthest point in the house, so we know that they've looked through everything. It is just horrible. They closed the drawers after they had looked in. That is why it took a week. Police say there have been numerous burglaries in the Battenhall and nunnery areas of the city during the past two months. We reported last week how there have been three burglaries and two attempted burglaries in Bath Road during February. Officers are calling for residents to be vigilant and help catch the culprits. 
Anyone with information about the theft from Miss Taylor's flat can call police on 101, quoting incident number 710-5-260-117. An, outra- an outraged body piercer says she was refused entry to a Worcester nightclub because of her facial piercings. Amber Martin was out celebrating a friend's 21st birthday when she tried to get into Sin, New Street. But on arriving at the club with her friends, she says the doorman point-blank refused her entry, suggesting she would only be allowed in if she took her piercings out. He was like, no, not happening, said Miss Martin who has seven piercings in her nose and lips. When I then politely asked why, he said it was because of those things in my face. I probed further and asked questions like, so because of piercings, you're not letting me in, is that right? He said, yes. Miss Martin, aged 20, has since received and accepted an apology from the doorman privately on Facebook but she has heard nothing from Sin and is now demanding a public explanation from the nightclub's management. She is now calling for other people with piercings to speak out against negative judgment and and is being backed by the United Kingdom Association of Professional Piercers, which says incidents of this kind are discrimination. Miss Martin, a professional piercer who works at Four Leaf Clothing, just a door down from Sin, was so upset by what happened, she cut her night short and went home. I was just so gobsmacked, she said. I was really upset, it just put a downer on my night. I'm used to the occasional look, and that doesn't really bother me. Being pierced or tattooed has never stopped me doing things in life. Miss Martin, who lives in Cotswold Road, Malvern, says her piercings are a form of self-expression along with her experimentation of hair colour and tattoos. She said she was dressed smartly on her night out and looks after her piercings, taking pride in wearing good quality jewellery. I'm really disgusted. I just think it's 2017. You do not need to be like this towards people anymore, she said. There is so much hate in the world already. I want to encourage people to step forward and not put up with this because it is not something you need to put up with. I just really hope that this doesn't happen again. Nikki Holmes, president of the UK APP, said she had suffered a similar experience. This is an issue many pierced and adorned people face. I myself have also been refused entry to places locally for similar reasons, she said. The UK APP would regard body piercing as a form of self-expression and as such people who choose to have a nostril piercing should not be more or less discriminated against than someone choosing a pair of lobe piercings. The Worcester News contacted Sin a number of times for a comment but no response was received. Well, some good news here. Car parking prices in Worcester are set to be frozen for three years in an unprecedented move to help boost the high street. 
The Worcester News can exclusively reveal how council chiefs are preparing to peg rates the same all the way to 2020 to help city retailers. It means drivers will still pay just £3.60 to park all day at St Martin's Gate car park, as well as rock-bottom prices of £1 after 7pm and 40p for 30 minutes at selected sites. The cheapest all-day rates are £3.50 at Tallow Hill, Tybridge Street and Croft Road car parks, half the price of other comparable cities of a similar size. The move, revealed by the City Council's Labour leadership, has been described as fantastic by retailers in the city. Car parking prices in Worcester are already lower than elsewhere, having been cut to their current rates back in 2014 by the old Conservative leadership. Since then, car parking income has continued to grow, blowing away some concerns the reductions could cost the council dear, and it brought in over £3 million last year. The three-year deal will apply at all 14 council-owned sites, with the expectation that future rises beyond that point will be linked to inflation. Councillor Adrian Gregson, the leader, said, We're looking at all the different ways we can generate income, and that includes a review of our car parks. But equally, we don't believe in fleecing motorists or visitors for the sake of it. The news is a major boost for city shops, who coordinated a petition in 2013 the last time rates went up. Tim Evans from Worcester Toys and Games in Broad Street said, It's excellent news. This is great for the city, for customers and for businesses. You can only look three years ahead anyway. Who knows what will be going on after that period? It's great for us. The only thing I'd like to see is 45 minutes, free parking spaces and more street parking. Yu Yu, who runs Ping and Oriental in Pump Street, said it's definitely good news. We need more people to come into Worcester. If they increased prices, it would only make things more difficult. Car parking prices in Worcester are set each February as part of the yearly budget cycle, which means it will need a yearly vote. But the three-year freeze already has cross-party blessing and was raised between Labour, the Conservatives and Greens during recent private discussions about the finances. Councillor Joy Squires, the council's deputy leader, said, I've never been of the view that car parking charges have to go up. There must be very good economic reasons for it. So there are three zones, red, amber and green, and red zone car parks include Copenhagen Street, Corn Market and Providence Street, um, and they're obviously the dearer ones. Amber zone is the Cattle Market, King Street, Newport Street, St Martin's Gate, Clare Street and Commandery Road. And the green zone car parks are Pitchcroft, Tallow Hill, Tybridge Street and Croft Road. So the um, um, rates obviously vary accordingly and you can imagine which ones are the dearest. Um, so that concludes the headline stories this week. 
and I'm going to pass across to Judith for the first of our ordinary stories. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, <coughs> a city care home has once again been ordered to improve by inspectors who say they are concerned that residents are not treated with dignity and respect. Watchdog, the Care Quality Commission, CQC, has published a damning new report into Shaw Red Hill Care Centre in London Road. Inspectors say they found residents being left to use toilets in communal areas with the door open and instances where privacy had been compromised as care records, including personal details, had not been securely stored. The report grades the home inadequate. In the key category is the service caring and requires improvement. In the four other key categories is the service safe, effective, responsive and well-led, as well as requires improvement overall. Shaw, which runs the home, has called the report unfair and says it will continue to work with local authorities to address issues raised. Inspectors said they saw two instances of people being left exposed while using the toilet as the doors were open in a communal area. They added that personal details and records were not securely stored and that one resident had a blood check in a communal area. We checked how one person who was at the end of their life was supported. We found staff did not take action to provide comfort to the person or to relieve their distress, the report says. Another resident was slumped over a table for a long period of time and despite staff seeing this, they did not offer help. Another person who was at risk of falls was not given appropriate footwear. One person made a complaint about temporary staff speaking in their own language and a relative was concerned that agency workers did not know the patients well. Despite the criticisms, the report says most residents have established good relationships with permanent staff. We saw people were relaxed when they were in the company of staff, the report said. We saw risks to people's well-being were taken into account when people's care was planned. There were systems in place so complaints raised would be investigated. Relatives were positive about the skills staff had. One relative told us staff were very good at reassuring their family member so their anxieties were reduced. It was also found that staff were able to recognise and act on abuse and keep their residents safe. Inspectors said staff had undertaken training and further training was available to them, with some residents insisting that they were top-class professionals. The home has capacity for up to 90 residents and there were 57 residents living there at the time of the inspection visit on December the 6th and 7th 2016. Previous reports published in April 2016 and April 2015 also said the home required improvement. Liam Scanlon, 
Director of Compliance and Governance for Shaw, said the company does not believe the report is a fair reflection on its operations. We recognise that there needs to be improvements at Red Hill, he said. We are currently updating our comprehensive action plan. Care is at the very heart of what we do and we have good, very good relationships with our residents and their relatives whose positive comments about the care they receive is reported throughout the report. We note that CQC's inspection report recognises this also. Managers and all staff at Red Hill are also being supported through this period. He said the company will continue to work closely with social care and health partners in Worcestershire. And there's just an ad addition um, from um, a, a concerned son whose mother is at the centre. Um, and he has criticised Shaw Redhill Care Centre for fa failing his mother after it was awarded the worst possible rating for caring. Jeremy Mannion, 53, who grew up in Worcester, says he is looking to take his mother, Mary, out of the care home after its latest Care Quality Commission report was published. The report says the home requires improvement in all areas and rated it inadequate for caring, raising concerns about residents' dignity. My mother is 83 years old and has been in the home since April 2015. It's her immediate care I'm worried about, said Mr Mannion. She has dementia. She's not in danger, but I'm going to get her out of there as soon as possible. This is the first home she's been in. What I did notice from the start, and what December's inspection by the CQC highlights, is a slight lack of dignity. Doors were left open to the rooms. The CQC noted that when they visited, they saw someone getting changed. Mr Mannion says he has lost hope that employees at the care home can change things and believes that the improvement must come from Shaw's head office. A Shaw spokesman declined to comment on individual cases, but the firm says it recognises that there is need to be improvements and it will be providing an updated action plan to the CQC. A sculpture featuring some of Worcester's most famous industries has been unveiled in the Arboretum. As part of the renovation of Westbury Community Gardens, now renamed as Westbury Pocket Park, local residents recently unveiled a new sculpture on the site. Artist and resident Peter Moorhouse created the piece called The Trades Tree, which features images to reflect the industries which residents of the Arboretum used to work in. The two and a half metre sculpture is made of wood from the wire forest and stainless steel, while the shape of the piece echoes the land use of the area before becoming a residential site. While Mr Moorhouse created the design, Worcestershire businesses, including County Enterprises, TCG, and F8 Creates helped turn them into a reality. Westbury Pocket Park, on the junction between Westbury Street and Southfield Street, is a community project backed by funding from the Department for Communities and Local Government, Tesco Community Grants and Worcester City Council. 
who own the land. New hard landscaping was completed in the autumn of 2016 and since then residents, with the helping hand from other community groups, have been transforming the area. Work has included the planting of 105 shrubs donated by the Woodland Trust, the addition of an insect house, the creation of wildlife areas and planting of fruit trees and vegetables, all grown locally. Future plans include adding notice boards about the local area, traditional games such as hopscotch and further vegetables planting once the weather allows. The aim of the Arboretum Residents Association, which manages the site, is to create a beautiful open space which will bring residents together and allow them to celebrate their community for generations to come. Upcoming events at Westbury Pocket Park include the children's event Making Mosaics for the Garden on Saturday, February 25th at 10am and the grand opening of the community gardens on Saturday, March 25 at 11am. And the trades that are represented on the tree in the photographs represent vinegar, hops, brickworks, catalogues, sauce, porcelain and gloves. New guidelines for buskers have come into force in a bid to ensure they don't annoy shop owners and passers-by. Worcester City Council's Labour leadership has voted through its detailed guide for the street performers, which encourages them to stop every 45 minutes for a 15-minute break. The updated blueprint has been watered down after feedback and no longer asks buskers to move elsewhere after 45 minutes and seek a new pitch at least 50 metres away. Instead, the entertainers are encouraged to perform for two hours or less, including a break at 45 minutes before going to another site. During a Cabinet meeting, Labour councillors referred to it as a code of conduct, but stressed that it is voluntary and will need the support of buskers in, able to, in order to work. But they also said developments like Worcester's emerging £20 million Cathedral Square means they must get the city centre ambiance absolutely right. The Code also says the sounds should not be intrusive into the lives of others living or working nearby, with no amplification between 9pm and 8am. Under the guide, people who find themselves annoyed are encouraged to approach the busker directly and come to a compromise. Those still unhappy, uh, for those still unhappy, they can ring the council directly, who can take further action, including asking the busker to attend a dispute resolution panel. Under the code, they can then face given and give, be given war, formal warning letters, a fixed penalty notice or even legal action. Okay. Love was in the air at the launch event of a popular annual heritage festival celebrating Worcester's rich and varied history. This year's Love Worcester Festival is being held during half-term week which is from Saturday, February the 18th to Sunday, February the 26th. 
and is being organised by the Worcester Heritage Partnership. At the launch, which took place at the Guild Hall, organisers spoke of the exciting programme of events lined up. They are being held at key landmark sites, including Worcester Cathedral, the Museum of Royal Worcester and the Hive. The event begins with a bell-ringing performance from Worcester Cathedral and St Martin's in the Corn Market, taking place this Saturday. Throughout the week, youngsters can enjoy craft activities at various venues, while adults can enjoy a performance of King Lear at St Swithin's Church, or get their ceramic pieces auctioned at the Museum of Royal Worcester. One of the main highlights will be the Living History Weekend, taking place at the Commandery in Sidbury, this Saturday and Sunday, when 2,000 years of history will be brought to life before visitors' eyes. Mark MacLeod, Chairman of Worcester Heritage Partnership, said, Worcester's heritage venues love to kick off the new year inviting residents to visit their city's eclectic collection of history and stories. <laughs> Praise has been heaped on the long-serving catering director at Worcestershire County Cricket Club. Steve Gibbs, 62, has taken an early retirement after 28 years' service at New Road. Mr Gibbs first joined the club in 1989 as catering manager with franchise Compass Services, before the club opted for an in-house catering with him in charge. He said, I've had a wonderful time at this cricket club. I was here from 1989 to 1995, when we had that team which won quite a few trophies, and it was electric just to come to work. There was that buzz around the ground, and hopefully we can get that buzz back again. Although people say I did a good job, I wouldn't have done such a good job if it wasn't for those people who worked for me and that's all I've got to say. Around a decade ago, Mr Gibbs became Director of Catering at the, at the Cricket Club. Current Chief Executive Tom Scott, former Chief Executive Reverend Michael Vokins and former Chairman Duncan Fernley were full of praise for the work Mr Gibbs had undertaken. Mr Fernley said... The thing that stands out for me was if one of the staff didn't turn up, Steve and wife Mary would take their jackets off and get stuck in. Everyone complimented the food, uh, sorry, everyone complimented the club on its food and everyone loved coming here from the other 17 counties. I'd like to congratulate him on the fact he cooked for royalty, the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Prime Minister and a lot of awkward cricketers who were very hard to please. Mr Scott said, Steve has given 20 odd years fantastic service to this cricket club and played a key role in the growth of the catering side from those early days when the catering was taken in-house. He clearly has commanded great loyalty and respect from the people who have worked with him and we wish him a long and happy retirement. Mr Vokins said, by bringing catering in-house and by having Steve to lead the team, the catering improved and we began to think we could do something for 12 months of the year. The club has now got a very high reputation for its catering, and Steve is the man who has driven that. 
A well-known Worcester councillor has stepped down from his role in the city's Labour cabinet. Councillor Jabba Riaz has resigned from the Guildhall's senior leadership team due to personal reasons. His decision is not connected to any issues at the City Council where he will remain a Labour councillor on the back benches. He held the role of Cabinet Member for Glean, <laughs> Clean, Green and Leisure Services, overseeing crucial issues like bin collections and parks. He says he has taken the decision with a heavy heart, with family circumstances, meaning he does not have the time to devote to the role. It is with a heavy heart that I've made the decision to leave the Cabinet, he said. It has been an honour to play a leading role in providing essential services Worcester residents rely on. But I know we have excellent staff in the Council who will continue to deliver for the good of the city. Sadly, for family circumstances mean I cannot continue to play as active a role as I have done. Councillor Adrian Gregson, the Labour leader of the City Council, paid his own personal tribute to him during a Cabinet meeting on Tuesday. Councillor Riaz's responsibilities have been split up and divided among the other Cabinet members. Councillor Gregson said, I'm very sorry Jabba is not able to continue on the Cabinet. He has been a determined and committed colleague fighting hard to keep standards high and showing great commitment to ensuring Worcester people receive excellent services. Jabba is devoted to public service in our city and I'm sure he will one day play an active role again in building a successful future for Worcester. Two top international restaurants have signed up to Worcester's £20 million Cathedral Square in a major boost for the city's profile. Asian restaurants Yo Sushi and Kung Fu have both signed 15-year leases for the emerging development and will open eateries by the summer. The move is yet another significant shot in the arm for the retail destination, meaning it now has just two units yet to be filled. Yo Sushi has agreed to take up a 2,750 square foot unit until 2032 on a rental starting at 107,500 pounds per year, adding Worcester to more than 90 restaurants worldwide. The company has been making waves across Britain for its famous Japanese conveyor belt, where dishes are mechanically paraded around at eye level, known as the Katen. That's K-A-I-T-E-N. Kung Fu, which operates 21 Asian fusion buffet eateries around the UK, has agreed a 6,673 square foot unit at a starting rent of £145,000. It comes with the revamped shopping plaza on track to be finished by April before owners, the Salmon Harvest Opportunity Fund, hand over the units to each business. A big recladding effort is steadily giving the old plaza a new look. 
The Asian eateries will join Ask, All Bar One, Byron Hamburgers, Cozy Club and Miller and Carter Steakhouse as the restaurants already signed up. Nick Webb from Salmon Harvester Opportunity Fund said, We're very much looking forward to launching a revitalised cathedral square and are delighted with level of occupier interest in the scheme. Councillor Adrian Gregson, the leader of Worcester City Council, has hailed the latest developments. I'm really pleased. Cathedral Square is going to be the catalyst for a whole load of things for the city centre. It's a really exciting development. You can see the whole area being transformed almost by the day. Jim Chain Fitness for Less, Wilco, Travel Lodge and H&M are also signed up and will open for business during the late spring or summer. A big open piazza is due to be created outside the shopping centre later this year to finish the scheme off in a piece of work led by Worcestershire County Council. Special celebrations are to be held later this month to mark the centenary of one of Worcester's best-kept military secrets. February marks 100 years since small arms ammunition production began at Government Cartridge Factory No. 3 Blackpool, more commonly known locally as the Old Cadbury's Factory and now part of the Blackpool, tradi- Blackpool Trading Estate. The facility produced ammunition for both the First and Second World Wars, although because of its hazardous output, it never received the public profile of several other factories in the area, which were engineering parts for military vehicles and aircraft. Organised by the Worcestershire World War 100 programme, a Blackpool Munitions Factory 1917-2017 event will take place on Saturday, February 25, at The Hive in Sawmill Walk, Worcester, as part of Love Worcester Heritage Festival 2017. It will commemorate the centenary of a series of talks, launch of a new illustrated book on the history of the munitions factory and invite people to volunteer to work on a Worcester City Council project to survey the surviving buildings. Production of ammunition began at Blackpool in February 1917, both of 7.62mm calibre for the Russians and 0.303 inch for the British Army. When production ceased in 1919, the factory had produced more than 200 million cartridges. A high proportion of the workers were women, and by training and good management, the Blackpool cartridges were of the highest quality, produced at an economical price. The dark days of 1940 saw the factory requisitioned by the Churchill government to once more produce small arms ammunition in both 0.303 and 9mm calibres, again using a high proportion of women in its workforce. After the Second World War, Cadbury's established its cake-making facility at Blackpool. But in 1974, the site and buildings were sold to Cadbury Schweppes. The event on February 25th will see the launch of a new illustrated book on the history of the site, Blackpool Munitions Factory Worcester, by the late Colin Jones and published by Logiston Press, priced at £10. 
The day will also feature a series of short, illustrated talks focused on the history of munitions in Worcestershire, covering the First World War in Worcestershire by Adrian Gregson, the Rotherwas Munitions Factory at Hereford by Andy Johnson, the History of the Black Pole Factory by Aileen Nash, the Factory Today and Recording Project by James Dinn. To mark the centenary of the Blackpool Factory, Worcester City Council is organising a survey of the surviving buildings. Volunteers are invited to get involved, be trained in rapid building surveying and gain an understanding of the munitions factory, its survival, development and later uses. Anyone interested in joining in can find out more by attending the event. The surveying project will run through October 2017. Andy Johnson of Logiston Press said, Blackpool Munitions Factory was hugely significant, both in Worcestershire and nationally. Of the four government cartridge factories operated in World War I, this is the only one where standing buildings survive, and we look forward to sharing the history of the factory at this special commemorative event and book launch. Adrian Gregson of the Worcestershire World War 100 project added, as well as commemorating and remembering the history of the Blackpool Munitions Factory, we hope the book and talks will inspire people to get involved in surveying the site themselves, understanding how it functioned and capturing the character and survival of the buildings. The project is a fantastic opportunity for interested people to be part of our centenary commemorations developing their skills and helping us to raise awareness of a First World War site of historical and archaeological interest. Blackpool Munitions Factory 1917 to 2017 will begin at noon on Saturday, February 25 at The Hive. Refreshments will be served as part of the book launch. For further information on the Worcestershire World War 100 programme, as well as a full listing of events taking place, visit ww one Worcestershire.co.uk And now for something completely different. <clears throat> Dirty dog owners who don't pick up after their pets have been shamed in a video recorded by a man fed up of having to dodge piles of dog poo. After constantly spotting piles of mess on paths near his home, the man decided to film his short walk to show how much muck there is on Batten Hall Road. But he said there was one saving grace, the poo fairy, who sprays the muck so people don't step in it. The man, who asked not to be identified, said, I decided to record this to show the true extent of irresponsible dog owners. Only a small amount of repeat offenders can drastically transform a nice area into a place where you need to constantly keep an eye out or bring mess into your home. I walked for another three to four minutes home and there was another seven or eight on the pavement. It's a few irresponsible owners who are ruining this area. I have no idea, but someone spends their spare time circling poo, who I call the poo fairy. I haven't caught them at it yet, but they deserve recognition for helping people not to step in it. It's even different colours, blues, green, pink and yellow. There's one who circles, one who sprays on it directly, maybe it's the same person.
He said there was also a particular problem with dog muck and broken glass down Willow Road, Ballston Road, the Hill Avenue and Linden Road. Broken glass has meant trips to the vet a few times because sometimes you just can't see little pieces. The Pooh Fairy, otherwise known as Pooh Watch volunteers, have already seen the highest number of reports of dog muck through their mobile app. Double the typical monthly amount has been reported in February already, with 418 reports across Worcester, compared to an average of 220. Anda Phillips, volunteer coordinator, said they sprayed the piles not only to help people avoid it, but also prompting dog owners to take note. During the winter months, Pooh Watch have been using yellow spray as well as red, so it is easier to see the offending poo in the dark mornings and evenings. For more information on Pooh Watch, you can visit poohwatch.co.uk. Right, <laughs> something more, uh, well, different, different. Um, a university student has started a three-year study into how the humble ladybird could reduce the use of insecticides on fruit crops. Alice Mockford from the University of Worcester is researching how insect predators like the ladybird could reduce pests without the use of chemicals. The PhD student's research is based on based in the orange orchards of Huelva, Spain, and is funded by the university, along with fruit supplier Prima Fruit and Waitrose. It is hoped her research may give fruit growers the chance to reduce negative impact on the environment while still growing high-quality fruit. Miss Mockford, who studied insects at Cardiff University, said... I'm very excited to be involved in this novel project and to be research, researching a topic which can have an impact on such an important agricultural system. Over the past century, many ecosystems have been modified through intensive farming and urbanisation and, as a consequence, we have lost some of the natural services that support agricultural production, like pollination and pest management by natural enemies. We want to harness these natural enemies to reduce the need for insecticide use in the future. As part of her research, Miss Mockford will grow strips of wildflower habitat and grass in the orange orchard and observe the impact it has on crops. She will combine field work with laboratory studies and hopes to develop the best method for reducing pests in crops. Our reliance on insecticides is not sustainable, she added. And we're going to do some sport next. Worcester Wolves found enough energy to see off visitors Manchester Giants 91-74 in the British Basketball League to end a gruelling spell of four games in a week. Manchester came into the contest buoyed by a double-figure win in their last in outing, but Wolves badly needed a reaction to their 96-78 reversal 
at Plymouth Raiders last Wednesday in the BBL Trophy semi-final first leg. A couple of former Worcester players made the biggest impact as the game began. Lithuanian Donatas Fisokis sank a three-pointer and point guard Callum Jones took a, po- a bonus point after being fouled in the act of scoring, aiding an early 11-5 lead for the visitors. Morris Walker repeatedly ground his way to the basket in response, but Jones and Visokas combined for another 10 first-quarter points to maintain the gap. As the period closed, a hopelessly misdirected inbound pass was seized upon by Manchester's Sam Toluwes to leave Wolves trailing 28-22. A stunning trio of three-pointers from Toluwes kept Wolves still in arrears at 37-32, four minutes before half-time. But an equally impressive burst of action from Wolves' Danny Huffer drew the sides together. Dispossessing Toluwes at midcourt, Huffer slammed the ball home. A series of weaving drives to the hoop and accuracy from distance produced 11 personal points and nudged his team 43-42 ahead at the interval. Jermel Kennedy debuted on the scoreboard after the break, with Huffer and Walker still connecting and a tighter emphasis on defence, Wolves began to pull clear. A 65-56 advantage expanded further in the final period with Alex Navayas putting in a shift close to the hoop and Ashton Khan entertaining a large home crowd with several swirling successes. Huffer and Walker topped Wolves' scorers on 23 points apiece, while Jones led the way for Manchester with 18. Coach Paul James was relieved to end Wolves' busy spell with a victory, saying the players looked very tired, very heavy-legged. Despite that, I'm pleased we were able to do enough to get the win. Wolves welcomed back a trio of their former players to the University of Worcester Arena on Friday when London Lions are the visitors. Alex Owumi, Zaire Taylor and Kai Williams form the backbone of Lions' team this year and will be keen to avenge a 100-71 beating handed out to them by Wolves at the Cooper Box Arena in January. James added, I'm expecting to see another big turnout of our fans getting behind the great squad of players we have here in Worcester and I'm expecting us to put another win on London. It wasn't pretty. But Warriors battled, harried and wrestled the European champions into submission at a boisterous six ways. Gary Gold's game plan to keep things simple worked a treat as the hosts remained composed and focused to register an outstanding victory in their battle for Aviva Premiership survival. Perhaps the reigning Premiership champions underestimated the size of Worcester's fight because the strugglers were dominated in most departments and should have won by more than the 24-18 scoreline. Doncha O'Callaghan led Warriors Assault with an abrasive performance on a bitterly cold afternoon alongside fellow lock Will Spencer, whose work rate and set-piece play were first class. Samoan back row Chris Fui was dynamic on his Premiership debut and added a new dimension to Warriors' line-out. Scrum half Francois Hugard has 
brought a clear direction to Worcester's play and his decision-making and vision have been sorely missed on the field. The Warriors' talisman came in for rough treatment from the visitors, including a late challenge in the first half from wing Mike L. Ellery, which brought a yellow card. Fly-half Ryan Mills had a fine match with eight successful penalties from nine attempts to set a new record matchday tally of 24 points scored by a Warriors player in the Premiership. Mills also frequently kicked Warriors out of their own half and deep into Surrey's territory, often turning the visitors' back line in the process. Warriors had been outclassed by Saris in three previous meetings since gaining promotion from the Championship in May 2015. As this was the first time Worcester had beaten the star-studded London club since a 12-3 triumph at Six Ways in November 2012. Mills missed a long-range penalty after five minutes, but was on target moments later after Schalke Berger's high tackle on Vui. With sloppy kicking from Richard Wigglesworth and full-back Matt Gallagher, Warriors built a head of steam and Mills slotted his second penalty after Brad Barrett infringed at the breakdown. Ellery was yellow-carded for his late challenge on Hugart and Mills' third penalty extended Warriors' lead to 9-0 after 27 minutes. Little was seen of Saris in attack until they had their first foray into Worcester's 22, which stemmed from indiscipline from the hosts five minutes before the break. And Saris took full advantage. Chris Ashton ran on to Wigglesworth clever kick and the former England wing dived full length to touch down ahead of the sprawling Winard Oliver. Alex Lozowski added the conversion, but Warriors had the final word of the first half when Alafotti of Silva won a decision at the breakdown and Mills landed his fourth penalty. Lozowski failed with a long-range penalty attempt early in the second period, but Mills was on target with his fifth kick from distance to stretch Worcester's lead to 15-7. Sarri's fly-half, Lozowski, made amends for his earlier miss to narrow the gap to five points, but Mills' sixth penalty kept Warriors in the driving seat after the champions had infringed at a scrum and then been marched back ten metres for comments to referee Tom Foley. Mills' seventh penalty propelled Warriors 21-10 in front and with the hosts pushing for the killer blow, Jackson Willison just failed to hang on to a pass which would have split open Sarri's defensive wall. Huge roars greeted Mills' eighth penalty after more Warriors pressure to give the hosts a 14-point cushion with eight minutes remaining. However, Sarri's finished strongly as Warriors tired. A well-executed driving line-out was finished off by Schalke Brits for Surrey's second try before replacement Ben Spencer missed a tough but important penalty chance. In a frenetic finale, Josh Adams was yellow-carded for a late tackle and Spencer's resulting penalty salvaged the visitors in losing a bonus point which they didn't deserve.
However, the afternoon belonged to Warriors, who claimed their first win in eight matches against Surrey's. Now, all of Worcester City's players have been put up for sale as the cash-strapped club look to cut costs to stay alive. City's board released a statement saying they were expecting to make a significant loss this year as they continue to struggle in exile. With money running out and uncertainty surrounding their future chiefs, said they needed to protect the remaining funds while playing outside of the city. Veteran striker Lee Hughes became the first player to leave the Vanarama National League North outfit, having joined the relegation rivals AFC Telford United. And caretaker manager John Snape anticipates many more to follow suit as 18th-placed Worcester who are three points above the drop zone, face a huge fight to retain their sixth-tier status. Although admitting it was a horrible feeling, Snape said he understood the club's realistic stance to their financial plight. The players are up for sale, said Snape, who has been in temporary charge since Carl Healy ended his seven-year reign as boss Last late last month. This will be a horrible feeling for the players, but the survival of the club is important and maybe a new start is good for Worcester City. Worcester visited Harrogate Town and Snape admitted there was a possibility several players could take the exit door before their long trip to North Yorkshire. There might be one or two departures in the pipeline following this announcement as we might get contacted by clubs, but it is a necessity, he said. It is not nice, but the players will adapt to that and new starts for some of them might be just what they need. Training has been very difficult this week for everybody and it will be going forward, but it is out in the open now. I hope the players are still getting paid and they can earn themselves a move by playing well for Worcester. Since leaving St George's Lane in 2013, City have spent three years at Kidderminster Harriers Agborough and currently play their home games at Bromsgrove Sporting Victoria Ground. City's board insisted they needed to find a temporary or permanent home in the city at the earliest possible opportunity. Not only are there significant costs attached to this, being in exile, but the opportunities for generating income are significantly less than they would be if the club were playing in Worcester, the statement read. During this period, the club have incurred losses mitigated by successful cut runs, with a further significant loss to be made this year. As part of a review of all aspects of the operation, which began prior to the resignation of Healy, City's chiefs said they must bring forward a break-even budget for next season. They also pledged to find a first-team manager or coach who could take the club forward in the long term. Rumours have been circulating over the immediate future of the club, with some fans fearing they could take voluntary relegation. 
City have refused to comment on speculation, both in the media and among supporters, over the future direction of the club. But they added, The club can reassure shareholders and supporters that any future action it decides to take will be with the sole objective of ensuring that Worcester City Football Club continues to be viable in the future. As and when updates can be provided, the board will ensure that such information is released through its official channels. More than 20 firefighters battled a blaze at a block of flats while shocked neighbours were evacuated from their homes and left shivering in the snow. The fire broke out in an upstairs bedroom at a flat at Frederick Place in Worcester City Centre at around 8.30am on Saturday morning. White smoke billowed from the building off Infirmary Walk while five fire crews from Worcester, Malvern and Lempster worked to bring the severe fire under control. Both the Butts and Infirmary Walk were shut by police for about an hour and a half while the fire service used an aerial platform to tackle the flames. It is understood the flat's residents were on their way back from holiday when their homes caught light. No one was hurt, although the ambulance service did attend. Police say there are no suspicious circumstances surrounding the cause of the fire. Claire Burton and Laura Reaper, who lived two doors down, leapt into action when they saw the smoke, calling the fire service and banging on their neighbours' doors. I could hear a fire alarm going off. Somebody banged on my bedroom window because I'm on the road, said Mrs Burton. I got up, came out, saw the smoke and shouted for Laura to phone a fire engine. I was banging on all the neighbours' doors trying to get them out. I acted on instinct. The 24-year-old playworker then ran round to the butts to help direct firefighters to the flats, wearing just her pyjamas in near-freezing temperatures. There was smoke everywhere. It was all across the whole roof, so I was worried it was spreading, she said. The fire brigade were amazing, and the police. The fire service ensured all the residents, mostly all also still in their pyjamas, from the adjacent homes were evacuated. Using breathing apparatuses, firefighters immediately began extinguishing the flames, which did, which did not spread to any of the neighbouring buildings. Grant Wills, Group Commander at Hereford and Worcester Fire and Rescue Service, said the crew were faced with a severe fire on the upper floor of the property in the converted roof space. They faced really severe conditions when they got here and worked really hard to fight their way inside to fight the fire and put it out quickly. Thanks to their quick actions, the fire was contained in one room. A specialist fire investigations officer arrived at the scene and on Saturday afternoon, West Mercia Police confirmed there were no, sus no suspicious circumstances surrounding the cause of the fire. Andrew Grant, estate agents who owns the block of flats, said hotel accommodation had been arranged for the flat tenants for the foreseeable future. Um, I thought as we've had Valentine's Day this week, it would be um, quite nice to uh, review the um, chaplain, the hospital chaplain's blog. He writes each week, David Southall, um, and his piece this week is entitled What's So Funny About Peace, Love and Understanding? 
He writes, The rabbi, the vicar and the Buddhist. No, it's not the start of one of those jokes. Rather, it is the group of people who gathered in the prayer room at Worcestershire Royal Hospital to sign and affirm our multi-faith covenant. So, along with the county's deputy Lord Lieutenant representing the Queen, the chairman of our trust and councillor Jabba Riaz, himself a Muslim, we heard stories from our different faith traditions. It was a beautiful time. And the funny thing is that while recognising each other's different views, the common theme of love, respect and understanding pervaded it all. There was no sense of threat to different views, just mutual respect. And it struck me how much we need this in the dark times that we live in. It seems that political forces at the moment want to isolate human from human. They want to mark out the other as dangerous and not to be trusted. They seem to be loving division and even fostering hate at the expense of understanding and love and tolerance. All this is in stark contrast to what happened at our multi-faith event. And while these things get very little press, brackets, we all know that hate sells more papers than love, close brackets, They are real and happening all over the place. Now, I know that some will say that religion has started more wars than anything else and that, if true, is a great sadness. But true religion, in all its forms, is peace-loving and noble and good and what it takes for that to prosper is trust. I hope that our small multi-faith event represents, in microcosm, the hospitals in which I work and the county in which I live. I know it may be a pipe dream, but realities have to start with dreams and hopes. And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. It just remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, to thank engineer Brian Wheelwright, my fellow readers, Judith Doherty and Mark McLeod, and to sign off, hoping you all have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye.